spent the Advent season this year talking about joy to the world, which celebrated its 300-year anniversary of being published this year. Advent, as a season, is about anticipation and being ready for something to come. And for the people living before the birth of Jesus, they were also in that same time of anticipation. They were waiting for a promise. And for them, that promise was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. And for us, that means that we can now celebrate that birth that happened, and we are in the Christmas season. So right now, still Christmas. Who's excited? That's good. That's good. So from, from Christmas Day through Epiphany, we have the 12 days of Christmas as we're in this time to celebrate and rejoice. But unlike those living in the Middle East around the time of the birth of Jesus, our anticipation hasn't actually ended yet. Celebrating the birth of Jesus doesn't actually end the Advent we were waiting for. As we celebrate Christmas time, we are still in this time of waiting for Christ's return again. That return is what we sang about when we enjoyed to the world. The poem by Isaac Watts is actually about the day when Jesus returns again and sets up his kingdom on earth. And the response to that kingdom? Singing, praise, dance, celebration. Let all heaven and nature sing. Because that's the response that we have to good news. We see that in our scripture today when the angels told the shepherds. First they ran to see where Jesus had been born, and then once they had confirmed the angels' message, they went and they told everybody they could find. I have to imagine that's most of our response to good news. Very few of us probably receive good news and then immediately say, I'm not going to tell anyone. Most of us probably in our minds right now already have the person that we would call first. Maybe it's your spouse or a family member, a good friend that you just have to share news with when you get it. But we then are in this in-between time. We celebrate the birth of Jesus as we wait for the return. And what do we do in this in-between time? No, we prepare for the next celebration to come, especially one of this magnitude. So a question for all of you, if you're feeling joyous today, to shout out an answer. What are things you do when you're getting ready for a party? Make a cheese ball. I like that. That's a man after my own heart right there. What else? Clean house. Yeah, what else? Yeah. If you want anybody to come, what do you have to do? Invite people. That's a good good step in this process, right? And I don't know about you, but after I've made the cheese ball and I've cleaned my house, I am no longer presentable (laughs) for a party, so I have to get myself ready as well. And I would say the first step in all of that, then, is to invite people to the party. 
got to give people notice that a party is coming. And like the shepherds in our scripture today, our response to the good news of Jesus' birth and the anticipation of his return is to tell everybody we can. To make sure that the celebration to come at Jesus' return, that as many people are invited as possible. The scripture repeatedly tells us that God wants us to include all people in that celebration. God's grace, all people. God's love, all people. The coming kingdom of God, all people. So part of our job while we're here on earth in this in-between of Advents is making sure that as many people as we can muster receive an invitation to the upcoming celebration. But there are other things that we have to do to get ready for the party. We need to decorate. I think some people are a little overzealous in their decorating. You all know some of these people. Did you know that there are 361 days until Christmas and some people already have their Christmas lights up? That's a little bit overkill for me, I think. I don't know. And of course, when I talk about decorating for the return of Christ, I'm not talking about balloons and streamers. The scriptures talk throughout of a, time, of a time where the kingdom of God will be established on earth. The coming kingdom will be here or, or a new earth, depending on where you're reading about it. And much of the imagery used is imagery that we are familiar with. It talks about agriculture and roads and rivers and trees, a place much like where we are right now. It talks about sowing and reaping and winemaking, things that we can participate in now and living life in a place much like what we see around us. So part of our preparation for the upcoming celebration to me looks like figuring out what the kingdom looks like and then making the earth now look as similar as we can. This is what we pray in the Lord's Prayer when we say, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And for me, this means two things. It might mean more than that, but these are the only two that I came up with. First, we have to learn and understand what the coming kingdom of God will look like. And then we need to figure out how to make the earth around us look like that coming kingdom. We know through scripture that in the coming kingdom there will be no more hunger. There will be no more thirst. That means today, now, you can make the world look more like the coming kingdom of God by working to make sure that there's no hunger and no thirst around you. From the pulpit, we like to give big statistics, and, and I personally, I love statistics. But we like to give big statistics about how if the wealthiest in the world would just give a fraction of their money, we could end world hunger. And everyone, myself included, sits and nods, yes, yes, those rich people should take care of that. But we can have an impact on hunger now. You can have an impact on hunger now, today, in your community. You can donate to local food pantries. 
you can give your time to volunteer here at Dinners on Us on Thursday nights. You can volunteer out at Teeter Farm, whose mission is to end food security and food insecurity in Hamilton County. You can do simple things to make the world look more like the coming kingdom of God. And I know, because I've been there, that you hear messages like this and the thought is, well, what can I do? I'm just one person. But I knew a just one person when I lived down in the Louisville area. He was a blue-collar worker who went on a mission trip to Eastern Europe. And while he was there building houses and feeding people, he looked around and thought to himself, you know, I spent a lot of money to get here to help these people when there are people in my own community that need help. And so when he got back from that mission trip, he made a choice to start carrying bagged lunches in his car. And whenever he saw somebody who was hungry, he gave them a bag lunch. And that led to him carrying more bag lunches in his car, which led to him partnering with churches to have them prepare bag lunches and have on hand, which then grew into a full-blown ministry called Jesus Cares at Exit Zero. Exit Zero being the last exit on 65 South before you hit Kentucky. And that ministry now serves over 100,000 meals a year to hungry people in that area because one person said, I'm going to carry a bag of food in my car. So you, yourself, sitting today, can have an impact on the hungry and the thirsty in your community. We know that in the coming kingdom of God, there will be no more sorrow, no more tears. That means you can make the world look more like the coming kingdom by working to comfort those who mourn, but also by choosing not to participate in practices and products that create sorrow in the world. One of the things that I have become more and more aware of in recent years is labor practices that produce two of my favorite things. One being coffee, which is the nectar of life and is absolutely delicious and you should all drink it. And the other being chocolate which for a very, very long time in my life, one of the easiest ways to get into my heart was simply to hand me a package of Oreos. But coffee and chocolate industries worldwide have been showed repeatedly to practice slavery. Yes, actual slavery and child labor. And while reporting has made people more aware of this fact, unfortunately, it hasn't really made a dent in the amount that it is happening. And the bigger companies that purchase from farms and plantations that use these practices have tried to claim that they just don't control what the farms do, they just buy from them. And as consumers, because we are ill-informed, don't know better, continue to buy so the companies feel no pressure to make any changes, and slavery and child labor persists. But you, today, can make the world a little more like God's kingdom by choosing 
to stop buying products that perpetuate practices like slavery and child labor. It seems like a small thing until you realize the number of products that are getting fair trade certified is going up because people are starting to have a voice that says, I want something different. To give fair wages to farmers, to reduce the amount of sorrow and tears in the world. And yes, it may take some research, and it may cost you a little more money, but I would think that, at least for me, the choice between more, more expensive and cheaper but built by slaves <laughs> became a pretty easy choice for me. If you'd like more information about this specifically, I am more than happy to help you. I have spent a lot of time doing a lot of research into these practices and what we can do to make a little less sorrow in the world. And so now, if you were to offer me a package of Oreos, I would say no thank you, because I am aware of where their cocoa comes from. And it pained me at first, it really did. It was truly my favorite thing. But now, I buy Newman O's, which is a fair trade cocoa. All the profits go to charity. And yeah, it's a little more expensive, but it's also a little more of the way the world should be. And I invite you to also consider reducing the sorrow in the world just a little bit in your consumer choices. Another way that the coming kingdom will look different can be found in Isaiah chapter 2, where Isaiah says, God will judge between the nations and settle disputes of mighty nations, and then they will beat their swords into iron plows and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, and they will no longer learn to make war. In the coming kingdom, we will take our weapons and turn them into farming tools and be at peace with others. And this, like hunger and sorrow, can seem like something that we as individuals don't have a lot of power to do anything about. I can't imagine many of us have declared war on another country in recent years. Maybe. I don't want to make any assumptions. But we have the power to be community builders here around our own homes, to be a force for both peace and connectedness in and around our households. But this isn't just about forming relationships with others and being nice. Those are good things. Don't hear me saying those are bad things. Be nice, please. <laughs> but this one, for a lot of people, myself included, can also take a heart change. For some, the first step in not making war is to stop seeing people as other, or those people, or them. Before we stop making war, either country to country or person to person, we will first need to work to see people as God sees them, as a receiver of love and grace and mercy. Now, this does not mean that you need to accept all behavior. It does not mean that you should not have boundaries. 
fact, I think Paul sums it up pretty well for us in Romans chapter 12. When he says, bless people who harass you. Bless and do not curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as equal and don't think you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. And if possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, revenge belongs to me, I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you will pile burning coals of fire upon his head. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. And this brings us to the last thing that we need to do to get ready for the celebration. We've talked about inviting people and putting up decorations, and now we have to get ready ourselves. We need to be working on our own hearts in our own lives to make them more like Jesus and ready to participate in a kingdom where envy and jealousy and hatred and spite and anger are not a part of life anymore. I tried to sit down and think about how much of my own daily life would continue in the coming kingdom and how much of it would not be tolerated due to negativity or sin or antagonistic behavior. And it was a humbling exercise to see just how much of my own daily life wouldn't be allowed in the coming kingdom. We all have work to do to get ready for the coming celebration of the return of our king. But hallelujah that God has patience with us to get ready. And Peter says it like this in 2 Peter. The Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise as some think of slowness but he is patient toward you not wanting anyone to perish but all to change their hearts and lives hallelujah the lord is patient as we invite and decorate and get ourselves ready for the celebration to come so what is your next step? Who is someone that you can invite? What can you do to make the world look more like the kingdom of God? And where in your life do you need reflection and change?